that's 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 really just my life right now people saying oh you should watch xyz and then i'll go okay i'll put it on my list and then i go and watch high high for like a fourth time right yeah <laughs> that's time... that's ad nauseum and then replace high with uh the owl house or with gravity falls or with something else that brings me fleeting joy in this waking hellscape that is the world right but this time uh this time i am making a commitment abby i'm making a commitment to you don't do gonna, that this I'm is already more, more than time. A, this podcast is already our commitment to each other as friends that's fair but <laughs> i'm gonna make a commitment to try my hardest to spend more time hanging out with you okay i appreciate that so that I don't and, just become like a mushroom bog witch, which right, I'm yeah, already well, halfway becoming. As cool as it would be for you to turn into a mushroom bog witch, I know you don't mean it in the good way. Put yourself in the shoes of a content creator or more accurately, a content producer. What do you do when you volunteer your company to aid your country, but still have to keep the lights on and report to General Electric? What do you do when the world is looking for escapism, but many of your artists have long since escaped? What do you do when the debt rises around you and all looks grim? And more importantly, ask yourself the question, how many nickels can you get from a whale, a giant, and a puppet? If your name is Walt Disney and you ask yourself these questions, you do what you can, you get what you can, and you make do with what you have left. Hi, my name is Nate Conrad. This is my friend, Abby Rose. Today we not only tackle the twosome of Make Mine Music and Fun and Fancy Free, but I personally tackle the all-too-familiar demon of microphone issues. Nonetheless, join us as we begin reviewing, accruing, debuting, and as always, dissecting the mouse. So, do you want to talk about f fun and fancy free and, and make mine money? I mean, make mine music? Make mine huge stacks of cash, absolutely. Fat stacks, man. Fat stacks on stacks on stacks. Did All it actually right, do we... that well? I actually didn't ever check. How's that? Did it did uh, make mine music ever like did it do well? I never checked. It didn't do terribly, but you know, compared to its budget, it did. I keep meaning to go back and look up the budgets for all these movies compared to the gross mm -hmm. because it's kind of interesting. But, but it's a, also that's... gross. <laughs> a it's hard to find and b it's um it's uh it's it's just something i keep forgetting to do yeah i feel you but yeah uh once again we have done the venture of watching two at once mm -hmm. uh and this time it is as you said um so we've got a lot of characters between them this time because now it's not just you know a deep dive into you know tourism now it is a deep dive into, hey, what if we just slapped 15 stories together and then made it a couple movies? Yep. It's pretty much like they realized that they didn't have to do as long of a segment as Fantasia. Mm -hmm. They could just get away with 
doing shorter, shorter pieces. Well, well, at least that's how it was in uh, Make Mine Music. I think Fun and Fancy Free is a little bit closer to like the traditional Mickey Mouse universe. Yeah, type it's, shorts. It's it is it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get we'll get into that, but first, I would like to get into some of the uh, characters that we've seen. Oh yeah, the characters. The char charars. So, um, these are package features. Um, or yes. package films, whatever, which is similar to the ones that we did last time, as you said, Nate. Yes. Um, but these are uh, fun and fancy free, which is two stories, um, and they're they're uh, one of them is kind of a Mickey universe, and then the other one is just a new sort of story. And then the other film we watched is Make Mine Music, which is similar to a Fantasia type thing, where it's it's musically oriented and there's a lot more segments it's not the main two like in fun and fancy free people have described um make mine music as worse fantasia (laughs) uh i don't know if you've ever looked up the amazon reviews of make mine music but people are not very kind to this film why that i will get into i suppose Uh Uh but that's a little foreshadowing we should do some not foreshadow the the opposite of foreshadow we should do some shading some throwing some shade let's throw some shade and i'm gonna throw some shade starting on these characters i'm gonna throw some shade on jiminy cricket to start with i don't know why i haven't heard that the phrase throw shade in so long that i'm just like huh that was a thing that we said regularly (laughs) it was (laughs) oh my god Oh no, we don't say it anymore. Are your are I'm, your are your brows also on fleek? I'm out, I'm an out of touch adult, Abby. You are, and it's not even Thursday. This is how we do it. Okay. Um. Yeah. Tell me about the characters. All right. So let's start off with Jiminy Cricket, of course, mm, because of course. he's the. If we're going in chronological order, we see um fun and fancy free and then we see make mine music so i put all these characters in chronological order god I'm, I'm glad it's not opposite i would have been really right you're glad upset. it didn't work from the last one we saw to the beginning yeah well i yeah. i was thinking that maybe like i was wrong about the chronological order i could also be but this is how i watched them so we're, we're wrong together we will both be wrong. Let's hold hands and walk forward into the YouTube comments. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, um, Jiminy Cricket. I don't know how, but somehow he's gotten worse than he was in Pinocchio. <laughs> not only, not only is he the same lackadaisical layabout and home invader that he's always been, who takes time out of his day to flirt with a human doll. But he's become a science denier whose moral philosophy <laughs> seems to be, if you're sad, just don't be sad. Ha <laughs> ha, bless up. Bless up. <laughs> he's posting pictures on, in- on no, Instagram with no his team, shirt off. No team, holding no a shade. Post- he's up, holding up a post-it note that says, stop racism. And he's doing it from inside someone else's house. <laughs> no tea, no shade. <laughs> so that's, that's Jiminy. Okay, that's Jiminy. Uh, yeah, I gave these ones a little bit shorter because there's so many of them. Yeah. I I got the full 15. Okay. Bongo the bear is uh, next that we see. I don't count the doll and the bear in the room. I just just going right into Bongo. Okay. And let me tell you, this guy's great. 
I can't get enough of this dude. <laughs> he is a circus bear who yearns for the wildlife and escapes confinement to live in the wild. When he learns it's tougher than he thinks it'll be, he does not give up and instead gets help from woodland animals. Whomst he befriends. Uh, we should all follow his example. Which example? Never giving up and seeking help in what you love? Or <coughs> to live in the woods? You decide for yourself. <laughs> this episode's hey. sponsored by Hozier. <laughs> <laughs> Go live in the bog with Hozier. <laughs> Hozier's new bog dominiums. Bog do- ah. No, Ho- I, I should never imply that Hozier would be a landlord. That's... That's yeah. not what he would want. Yeah. So, uh, fun fact, he also falls in love with a pretty little girl bear named Lulabelle, who is also being pursued by Lumpjaw. <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> oh, man. We, we've got Bongo, Lulubelle, and Lumpjaw. And the naming Lumpjaw. in this one is amazing. It's great. It is All right, great. Lumpjaw. That boy, he's built like a Casey. That is to say, <laughs> he's not exactly a jock, not really a Chad. In no way, shape, or form a himbo, but he is wholeheartedly an absolute unit. <laughs> a softy and a half for love, but that doesn't matter because on the inside he's still a real American heel. Yeah. 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 So that's everyone of importance in Bongo the Bear Short. Uh, next we see Edgar Bergen and company. Uh, Edgar Bergen, he throws a party and only invites two puppets and his eight-year-old neighbor, for some reason. <laughs> I, I knew! I was like, I'm not going to linger on that, because it's, like, it's yeah. wholesome in the end, but, like... Oh, yeah. I'm assuming it's a babysitting gig, so don't get gross. He's not a babbit. Well, but he invited her... I don't know. Whatever. Like, I'm thinking, like, the parents next door said, Hey, Edgar Bergen, would you mind babysitting our daughter? And he was like, Oh, I'll make this fun for her. I'll say I'm inviting her to a party because she knows her parents are going to a party and I have to babysit her anyways. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think that would be a really cool thing. Hey, babysitters listening to this, uh, do that. That'd be fun. Yeah. So he tells a funny little story. Only, uh, only if you live next to the person that you're babysitting, though. Only then. Right, or, yeah. or, like, if the person that you're babysitting is coming to your house instead of the other way around yeah i think that's really i think that's really hey how did that invitation get there is did did jiminy cricket break into her house while she was away being babysat yeah oh you didn't know yeah that he he breaks into their house and the parents aren't there i guess because they're gone presumably at the party but we don't know oh Um, by the way i forgot to mention um uh, when Jiminy Cricket finds people, he finds, uh, first, a fish that isn't sexy. Yay! I am so We did happy. it, Disney. We got, we kicked the sexy fish. We finally did it. We're, we're, we're putting that in our past. We're putting the past behind us. Mm-hmm. Well, until Don't we think have about to, Little until... Mermaid. Don't think about <laughs> Little Mermaid. Don't think about <laughs> Little Mermaid. Sorry, <laughs> oh, man. You, you... In Little Mermaid, you get to see sexy fish and a. S- <laughs> that was gonna be a bad pun, a sexalopod. Oh. Or a sexphalopod? No, no. Aren't you funny? I'll just say sexy cephalopod. That sounds better. Sexy cephal. Se- se- yeah. yeah. It's it tongue twisting me. I'm just gonna finish up with Edgar Bergen. Yep. Okay. 
So he tells a funny little story with help from his buddies, Charlie MacArthur, his snide sidekick, and Mortimer Sneard, his dopey buddy, who is, in fact, built like a 3D dopey. <laughs> yeah. The story he tells, of course, is The Legend of Happy Valley, or Mickey and the Beanstalk. Now, the next character we'll see is the Singing Harp, a magical damsel-slash-object-slash-MacGuffin in distress, who helps those who help herself. <laughs> For those of you wondering, a MacGuffin is a narrative device that propels the plot and can be replaced with just about anything. Famous MacGuffins can be as obscure as the meaning of Rosebud in Citizen Kane, or as mysterious as the contents of the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, or as disappointing as the Soul Stone in Avengers. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to Mickey Donald. There, there was a lot of pain behind that. Yeah, <laughs> behind there was that a lot. Final of, one. There's so many cool things they could have done with the Soul Stone, and you know what they did with it? They did fart no They did fart noise with they it. They did man pain with it. Man pain. They did man pain twice. Uh, man. Yeah, I'll bring you man pain. I'm just gonna go and and uh, troll a few comment sections. Yeah. Cry. Hey, I'm making fun of Avengers Infinity War. What are you gonna do about it? They're gonna cry. Yeah, they they stopped trying. Let's just l mm -hmm. say that and leave it at that. Yes. They stopped trying. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. This trio represents Jack and his family in the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, and each has an important role to play. Mickey is our dashing hero who saves the day with quick wit and quicker action. Donald is the hangry, feral, quick-to-anger catalyst for the story as he throws away the magic beans. Goofy. Willie the Giant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Thanks. And it was Rule of Threes, naturally. <laughs> Goddamn right. Uh, it's an organic Rule of Threes. I love when that happens. I love when a plan comes together. Yep. Beautiful. Mwah, All right. <laughs> Willie the Giant. If I had a nickel for every dopey archetype in this picture, I'd have two nickels. Which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. Yeah. Yeah. Comes in, magic as f and somehow quick as a whip but dumb as a brick, and falls to his death in our tale. Also proves him to be diegetic, somehow, for some reason. Yeah. Oh, I have a... I have a... We'll get to that. Oh, I'm very ho, excited. Ho, ho. Because we've just hit the end of everyone in Fun and Fancy Free. Well, everyone of import. So I'm going to just lay down the most important characters I've ever seen in my life from <laughs> Make Mine Music. You're, I'm going to be so surprised if this isn't your number one pick. Don't tell me if it is. Don't tell me if it is or if it isn't. Just just go on. But that's I'm going, going yeah. on. So the first characters we see, we don't actually see them. This is... This is, I, I forgot to mention that this is a nightmare, by the way. <laughs> finding this movie is a nightmare. Oh, yeah. And oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like nothing. Finding this movie complete is impossible unless, mm -hmm. unless you do what me and Abby did, which was we got the Swedish release of the DVD and perfectly <laughs> legally watched it in our Region 2 DVD player. Oh, totally. Yeah. It, it, was a, it was a real bitch to get it to work. But, you know, we did it because so we tough. love the law. And because we love the law so much, and because we did that and went through all that trouble, we were able to see every single segment in Make Mine Music, including the Martins and the Coys, which mm -hmm. includes Grace Martin and Henry Coy. 
I know one of Freddy's girls when I see them, and when they overemphasize their figure in any way, shape, or form, you know they're one of Freddy's girls too. And the, and they have the pigtails. And they have the they have to have the pigtails, and they have to have the overemphasized form, God. and that's Grace. She's the last of her family, and she pairs perfectly with Henry, also the last of his family. They fall in love, spend tender moments together, get hitched at a barn dance, and proceed to spend the rest of their lives raising holy hell fighting each other. Because that's how marriage works. Am I right, fellas? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Am I right, fellas? <laughs> oh, uh, one last thing on Henry. That boy. He's built like a Casey. He's built like Casey. Who is Casey? Who is Casey? Who is Casey? The mighty Casey. This right here, this is the Casey that them boys be built like. Big, buff, tough, baseball brute. The Sinatra of 21 or however they want to hype him up. He gets too cocky and eats shit in the ninth inning. (laughs) Also, fun fact, appears in another short later on called Casey Bats Again. Where, where they, I don't know if you knew about this, but they introduce his wife. Oh, that's He's a been f- choice that they've made. <laughs> right? He's been flirting with the girls in the stands and we meet his wife. What a heel. What a jack wagon. Anyways, his wife is pregnant and he's excited to have a boy who'll carry on his legacy. But instead he has nine girls. Nine times. He has all girls, all carbon copies of each other and their mother, by the way. Okay, I really, I, all this happened so fast, and I just want to clarify to listeners, none of that actually happens in the thing that we watched. That's all the sequel. This is all in the sequel. He, he, they just randomly decided, hey, let's take Casey at the bat, give him a wife. Uh, He wants to have a boy who will carry on his legacy. Oh, wait, no, he's having nine girls. Oh, wait, no, they're they're going to carry on his legacy as a female baseball team. Oh, wait, no, it's down to the ninth inning, so he's going to come in to try and bat in the ninth in drag. Oh, no. Because girls can't do baseball as good as Casey. Girls can't do, and Casey can't do baseball worth anything. That's the whole I've, idea of the, they're just... Absolutely. I've had enough of this dude. I've had enough of this dude, and have a, I've had enough of this property. Is this the first instance of Disney beating a property to death and absolutely shaming the uh, the legacy of the original person who wrote the story? <laughs> it's entirely possible because, like, you could also point to the stork from Dumbo getting a one-off in uh, the the lion short, but that was cute and endearing. And this is terrible. Well, so. yeah, and because this specifically, Casey at the Bat, is a poem. It's like a famous poem that was very widely performed. Uh, it was written like 1888, which I was going to go into. Um, and so it's like he's a known character and like a famous, he's kind of like one of those American vaudeville type characters. And so that's really dumb yeah. <laughs> that they would do that. Yeah, they were just like, let's let's give him some further adventures and also a wife for some reason. Let's ride on the coattails of the popularity of this property, which we didn't originate. We adapted from another property. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. stupid. Anyway, go on before I get mad. <laughs> right. Yes, I'm going on. And I'm going to go on to my favorite character in the whole, the whole thing. Um, it's the fan of the visitor team. Oh, the, yeah. He's like the, the mouse fan. from Bambi. It's like that level where he's like not super in 
the whole thing, but he's just... He's in no way, shape, or form important, but I looked at him and I liked him, so I wanted to talk about him. Yep. He's the only fan of the team visiting Mudville to show up. And for his troubles, he gets his ass beat six ways from Sunday by the Mudville faithful. <laughs> He's great. He's great. Yeah. I love him. And from there, we move on um, to Peter from Peter and the Wolf. Sweet, innocent Russian baby who never did anything wrong except make his grandfather worry. Makes Aww. friends with the animals, captures a wolf, and looks just like me when I was a little dumpling. Oh, a little dumpling. Well, Domplin, he's a little, he's a little blonde-haired boy with a red nose, and I was like, yeah, I was a small child who was an alcoholic <laughs> in Russia hunting wolves. Oh yeah, you were a yeah. little a little Jim Gaffigan baby. That was me. That was me. I was a, I was a little little pale nightmare. <laughs> so, one of his friends uh, is Sasha, the little bird, and I just wanted to say that if they ever made a three caballeros go to Russia, this would be the bird they meet and add to their group. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Moving on. We're going to talk a little bit about Johnny Fedora. This is the only time you can say Fedorable and have it be a good thing. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. Johnny. As opposed to the other times. <laughs> right, yeah. When you say it like, you know, you see like a men's rights activist off in the oh, corner, yeah. you're like, oh, aren't you Fedorable? The only, yeah, the only, yeah. That's like no, calling. That's like calling somebody an Einstein versus talking about the actual Einstein. Right. It's like calling someone a Nimrod instead instead of actually talking about Nimrod. Yep. Exactly. That's a that's a deep cut. But that's, that's a very deep cut. And that's an example of semantic drift. But I don't know if we can get into that in this episode. Nope. We already cover. You already covered one narrative device, and I was going to cover a whole other narrative device. We don't have any right. room. There's no room on the broom here. No room on the broom. We got we each get one narrative device apiece. Yep, and and sometimes we have to share, but that's yeah. just how it is. So, Johnny, Johnny Fedora, spends the whole short chasing after the love of his life to the tune of the only song in the whole ass show that got stuck in my head for some reason. It's just because it's the only one sung by the Andrews sisters, and so it just gets in your head no matter what. Also, he is an actual fedora. He's not a man wearing a fedora. Right, yes. No, this is this is an anthropomorphic hat. Yes. And that's why he's fedorable. <laughs> uh, and I wish that song hadn't gotten stuck in my head because I really wanted a Willie the Whale song stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. And Willie the Whale, by the way, <clears throat> if I had a nickel for every time we watched a Disney movie with a giant character named <laughs> Willie, I would have four nickels... Which isn't a lot, but it's weird that I was able to make that joke twice and get four nickels from three characters. <laughs> that was so... That... Wait, what was... where, where were the other Willies besides the giant and the whale? No, no, no. Willie the giant and Willie the whale. And then Willie the giant and Mortimer Snurd, I got a nickel for them both being dopies. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a little math problem I snuck in there. Yeah. Yeah, My I make one hurts. joke twice with three characters and get four nickels. This is horrible. Okay, We're, so hold on. Who's on first? What's Stop. on second? Oh my gosh. All right, let's get Go that on. out of the way. Willie the Whale. He's a darling sweetheart who only wants to sing at the opera. He's so good, so pure, and in terms of characters alone, he's pretty up there for me. 
Not a big fan of how he's saying shortening bread, but we can for, we can forgive the Beach Boys and the Wiggles for it, so let's forgive a fictional <laughs> whale. B- besides that one thing, however, he is so good. I love him so much. If anything ever happened to him, I'd make a Brooklyn Nine-Nine reference. Oh, well. That's a meta joke. Well, well, and and because something hap- something does indeed. Yeah, let's talk about Teddy Toddy. <laughs> that dumb motherfucker. <laughs> I know the narrator told us to forgive him for not believing wholeheartedly in unexplainable miracles. But the narrator's not here, and we're in Bambi's mom territory right now, where my hate surpasses logic. Yeah. How can you believe that a whale swallowed three opera singers who are singing in his belly before you consider the notion that a whale could be singing opera actually for real? You wouldn't hear them that well, you jack wagon. He is certainly So be good to Will. He is jack wagon. Numero uno. So that's every character I thought was important in uh, two movies. I mean, there's there there were other animals in Peter and the Wolf, but mm-hmm. you know, there were and there were the there were the kids and all the cats join in. Yeah, um, I'm cracking up though that you decided to do uh, Sasha the bird instead of the wolf in Peter and the Wolf. <laughs> I do want to say this about the wolf though. You just reminded me. Um, mm-hmm. If you this is this is a reference that I don't think you're gonna get, so I have to tell you, give you specific instructions for it. Uh oh. Just go and Google Judas Priest album covers. Oh my gosh. And he follows the same, they all follow like basically the same color scheme and design of like, there's red, there's yellow, there's black, there's gray. It's a fearsome looking creature. And he he looks like a Judas Priest album cover. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. I mean, do I, do I do that right now? Or, or is that just a for later thing? Just say, keep it in your back pocket. Okay, I'm going to keep catch a following reference and put it in my pocket there you for go. a rainy day. Um, so. I guess I'll do the source material because it's first on my notes. And I've been very excited to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Uh, let's start with Fun and Fancy Free. Fun and Fancy Free is made up of two stories framed by a third. Quick definition, a frame story is a story that well, frames another story. Like in The Princess Bride, where the dramatic tale Wesley and Buttercup is framed by a story about a sick little boy being visited by his grandpa. Frame mm. stories usually, though not always, provide a narrative setup for the story within a story. The name was a little self-explanatory, but there it is, in case you guys weren't sure. So, anyway, we're going to ignore the frame story for now and just focus on the other two. The first is Bongo, a story that's basically like they said, what if Bambi, but Dumbo? And the second mm-hmm. is Mickey and the Beanstalk, a retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk, but, like, weird. Is that why his name is Bongo? Because it kind of sounds like a combination of Bambi and Dumbo? No. Uh, the first story, titled simply Bongo, is sort of kind of halfway based on Little Bear Bongo, a 1930 short story published in Cosmopolitan. Written by Sinclair Lewis, who was the first American recipient of the Nobel Prize in Literature, and Ooh. illustrated by Josep Segreyes. I say sort of kind of halfway because I read the original story and, who boy, shoo-wee mama, it does not turn out like the Disney adaptation. <laughs> oh, so we're in, ba- we are in Bambi territory. We are in, well, yes. 
yes, it's that it's short. Um, it's a short story, but yeah, it doesn't turn out like the Disney adaptation. So, mm-hmm. like the fancy free version, this story starts with Bongo, a trained bear who runs away into the forest and tries to make a home in the wild despite being born and raised in a circus. There he encounters things he never had to in captivity, including hunger, dangerous surroundings, and the company of other bears who actually are from the wild. And yes, a bear does like to say it with a slap in the original, too. (laughs) Uh, Though God knows why Disney chose to leave that in. Yeah. Uh, Which, gentle (laughs) listeners, you'll figure out what that means. A bear likes to say it with a slap. Uh, unlike the fancy free version, which ends with a happy Bongo winning the girl bear of his dreams and finding a sense of belonging in the forest, Bongo's original story ends when he is rejected by the wild-born female he loves, then returns to captivity in the circus where he meets a female trained bear and becomes her mate. Oh. Yeah. So... I (laughs) I don't think I like that. So here's the thing. Even after having read the original story, I still haven't 100% decided whether Lewis wrote this ending to be facetious or to be genuine. I really hope it was the former, and judging by his other works, I have a feeling he was indeed being tongue-in-cheek. But, if not, that would make the moral of the story be that life is better in captivity and pursuing freedom and your genetic roots is more dangerous and troublesome than anything else. Yeah. You put into words exactly why I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, The story ends with this quote. And so he came from the burdens of freedom and the horrors of nature to the happy civilization of his cage. Oh. Which that's what makes me think that it might be like tongue in cheek. Like uh, it might be just like a a criticism. No, yeah, that reads like like a Ray Bradbury moral. Yeah. I'm like, come on. Come on, man. Um, yeah, but that's that's the original the the source for Bongo. Uh, now, and by the way, by the way, not to say that the original story is bad. Actually, it is a beautifully told story. And now I think I'm tempted to look up Sinclair Lewis because his prose is very very beautiful. Yeah, because um, you you like you weren't intending to, but you just dove right into the whole last story. No, yeah, absolutely. Like I wasn't. I didn't re- I thought that it was going to be like a Dumbo thing where it was like a children's roller book or something. Like I didn't mm. expect to actually I didn't even expect to find the original story. I <clears throat> literally Cosmopolitan has an archive online where they print all of their original volumes, like all their old volumes. And so I was looking, it was almost like a like a a newsreel from the library or something. That uh, is so cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And the the uh the art is really cool too. It's really creepy. Ooh. Um, and I don't think I hope it wasn't meant for children. I don't think I mean it's cosmopolitan, so I don't think it's meant for children, but like that is yeah. not a story for children. When was this printed? Like the uh the 30s? third it was the thirty. I think it was nineteen thirty. Yeah, I don't think kids in the thirties were picking up the latest cosmo. Mm-hmm. Well, you I never know. You never know. It's like how Disney is not originally just for kids and I was thinking maybe Cosmo would be, like, for adults and kids. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe. It's it's a publication. Yeah. So the second story in Fancy Free is Mickey and the Beanstalk, a retelling Mm. of the English fairy tale Jack and the Beanstalk. Mm. Um, And, oh, my gosh, it was, like, it was a breath of fresh air to 
like immerse myself into fairy tale source material again. I was I, I hadn't realized how much I'd missed it. Welcome back to your wheelhouse. Welcome back to my wheelhouse. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, it was originally told in nineteen, you know, seventeen thirty-four. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Anyway, um <laughs> I just I because I thought that I was just being a pansy in episode six when I was suffering so badly because there was no source material, but I didn't realize there was no source material. I was just thinking that I'm not trying hard enough, but then I got to this movie. To be fair, I I genuinely thought there was going to be an old Papagayo. I thought there was going to be anything, anything at all. And maybe there will be. I don't know. Please, if there's anything source material-wise about Salutis or Caballeros, let me know. As soon as we get that information, we're going to make it into a special. Maybe. Maybe Probably not. Um, (laughs) so the second story in Fancy Free is Mickey and the Beanstalk, a retelling of the English fairy tale, Jack and the Beanstalk. I already said that, I know, but I'm saying it again. I like Um, you saying it. Thanks. This fairy tale was originally titled The Story of Jack Spriggins and the Enchanted Bean in a 1734 collection of stories published by J. Roberts. The collection was called Roundabout Our Coal Fire, or Christmas Entertainments, 4th edition. The author signed under the pseudonym Dick Merryman and still remains anonymous today. Uh, the title changed when Benjamin Tabart, Tabart, Tabart adapted and moralized the story in 1807, becoming the history of Jack and the Beanstalk. Moralized by that, I mean he he basically made it so that there's there's a reason why the giant you know why jack robbed the giant and, and killed him it was like he he made the giant into more of a villain and then made jack more of a hero character and and kind of added more of a, a moral reason for why the giant should be killed okay uh, anyway because yeah. early fairy tales really a lot of them don't have like super clear morals they're just they are what they are and you can it was just like how you will it was just like here's a thing that happened. Now yeah. wasn't that we- it was kind of like the the divide between um episodes in the Twilight Zone. There are episodes that have like a moral and there are episodes that are like, you know, this is what could happen. And then there are episodes like, hey, there's a dude on the wing of a plane. Yeah. Isn't that I mean weird? I mean to be fair, morals are different from themes. So like so like a story could have a theme or like a um a basic structure um, and a message, but maybe not from a moral standpoint, if it makes any sense. Anyway, um, so um, the most popular version was was Joseph Jacobs' version, written in 1890 as a part of his collection, English Fairy Tales. According to Wikipedia, the Jacobs' version is believed to be closer to oral versions of the story because it lacks the moralized elements put in by Tabart. Tabart. I should have looked that up. Um, but yeah... <laughs> Uh, the main character, Jack, is a sort of stock character in English and Cornish fairy tales, and there are lots of other stories that feature him as the clever, brave hero who goes on adventures and defeats all sorts of foes, though the majority are giants, earning him the title of Jack the Giant Killer, um, which is also the name of a story, Jack the Giant Killer. Uh, of all the stories featuring him, usually called Jack Tales, that's like what folklorists call it, the Jack Tales are like the... um the grouping of stories that feature Jack as the hero. Mm-hmm. His adventure up the beanstalk is the most widely known by far. Um, oh, you're going to think this is cool. Um, I can't stop freaking out every time I think about this, but uh, even though this written modern version of the story has only been around for a few hundred years, 
researchers at Durham University and Nova University in Lisbon have discovered that the original story has been around for over five millennia. Whoa. It's an archaic story form labeled The Boy Who Stole the Ogre's Treasure. And some say it could date back to around 4,500 BC. That is, unironically, the coolest goddamn shit. Isn't it so cool? I, That's I, so cool! It's lame, but I get shivers every time I think about that. The fact No, there's that nothing lame so about old. that. Like this, like, this story, in some form or another, this same basic structure has existed and has been retold and has been, you know, consistently enjoyable for, like, 5,000 years, 6,000 years. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I mean, even even saying, oh, it's only a few hundred years old, like, that's that's way longer than I've been alive. Even that's a long time, but, like, that's five millennia. That's longer than most people have been alive. That's just <laughs> most people. Yeah. It's, isn't that awesome? Um. But honestly, besides the Disney-fied characters and elements, the fancy-free adaptation of Jack and the Beanstalk doesn't really differ much from the original story. A poor country boy sells the family cow for some magic beans. They grow into a huge beanstalk, which he climbs because what else are you going to do in the country? Uh, he yeah. meets a B-U-F-G, big unfriendly giant, <laughs> uh. who, un <laughs> who unleashes the famous line. Nate, want to tell us the line? Fee-fi-fo-fum. Yes, the full, the full line is fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be oh. he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. Which, by the oh. way, that's something in fairy tales I've always wondered. Like, can you, can you make bread out of bones? Like, you know? You know? Like, do, do you mix it in with flour or something? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure it would be really rich in calcium so that'd probably be really good for you maybe i mean you could probably mix it in with the flour yeah grind some some bones all right hey guys hey uh bread baking tumblr community or bread baking uh pandemic community bake some bone bread and let us know how it turns out <laughs> yeah yeah let's um let's let's get um let's get townsend's on that that might be a fun pandemic diy uh all right, so anyway, uh, Jack outwits the giant and steals a bunch of his stuff, including some things like the golden-egged goose who used to belong to Jack's family, and on his way down the beanstalk, he chops it down, leading the giant to plummet to his death. The end! Yay! Uh, the giant is generally nameless, though in Jack's brigands, his name is Gogmagog. And some Gogmagog. <laughs> Gogmagog. Uh, and some plays based off the story list his name as Blunderbore because that name appears in other Jack stories about giants. So Disney deciding not to try even remotely to get kids to pronounce either of those was just like, yeah, Willie's fine. Willie, yeah, Willie's is a a good name for a a big, a large character. Yeah, I mean they did it twice. <laughs> so nice, you use it twice. Mm. <laughs> uh, yep. All right. So now let's go on to source material for Make My Music. Yes, uh, please. The two main stories for Make My Music that actually have source material are Casey at the Bat and Peter and the Wolf. Casey at the Bat is an animated retelling of Ernest Thayer's famous poem from 1888. The original poem is recited pretty much word for word in the Disney short, though some parts are sung to give it that musical theme. 
The poem was popular to recite and perform in vaudeville circuits, and even a few real baseball players of the time claimed to have been the inspiration behind the poem. Of course. Yeah. One guy even... It was like the 20s, 30s. You could just say whatever you want, right? It was 1888. Oh, yeah. You can definitely (laughs) just say whatever you want then. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, they they continued to, to do it. And through the 20s and 30s, I'm sure, which is how yeah. Disney knew about it. But it did. It was popularized in 1888. Um, and one baseball player even toured with a vaudeville act under that claim that he was the, the original Casey. Um, I also think that this is probably the most faithful Disney adaptation we've seen because it's literally beat for beat the exact poem. And even the segment itself is set in 1888 with the clothing of the time. Um, but then of course they ruin it with a sequel of course they ruin it with a sequel who wouldn't ruin it with a sequel yeah I mean and yeah that's really I I wasn't thinking about that when I was watching it but yeah it is just the poem beat for beat Mm -hmm. the only difference is that they they sing it a little bit um, to make it mind music (laughs) well yeah Jerry Kalana's gotta put some Kalana personality in there Mm -hmm. exactly Um, All right, so now let's go on to Peter and the Wolf. Peter and the Wolf is based on a musical composition written in the 30s by Russian composer Sergei Prokofiev. It was a popular performance of his and had a narrator tell the story as the orchestra accompanied them. Each character has a corresponding instrument, and before every performance, the musicians would showcase the look and sound of the instrument for the audience, usually children, so that they could pick out the sound when it came up in the story. Um, and in fact, um, Prokofiev actually made that like composition. He actually wrote the whole thing for a children's center, like a children's performing center. Um, Peter, the young hero, is often the strings, such as violin, viola, and cello. Sonia the duck is an oboe, while her excitable twittering bird friend Sasha is a flute. Ivan the sneaky cat is a clarinet, and Peter's grandfather is a deep bassoon. The wolf is usually three horns and sometimes a cymbal, and the shooting of each hunter's gun is the kettle drum and bass drum. The story here, like with Mickey and the Beanstalk, is pretty much what we see in the Disney retelling. Young Peter is warned of the wolf in the forest. He goes to hunt it for glory despite being way too young. He eventually outsmarts and captures it, then stops the wolf from being killed by the hunters and instead suggests they should bring it to the zoo. Disney didn't include the zoo part, and they also didn't keep the part where the wolf eats Sonia the duck. (laughs) Uh, But in the original story at the end, the narrator reveals that in his haste to eat Sonia, the wolf had swallowed her whole, and that if you listen closely to the wolf's belly, you can hear muffled quacking. (laughs) Oh, that's cute. Yep, so she's still alive. Um, Just lives in a wolf now. Just lives in a wolf, but it's fine because the wolf's in the zoo now, so... So the duck's in the zoo. Well, the duck's in the wolf, and the wolf's in the zoo. And, uh... Who's driving the truck? <laughs> okay, so wait. Who's on first? What's on second? Mm-hmm. Casey's right, on I... third. Or he would Me be. Me saw who. <laughs> he would be if he could, you know, actually bat. If only. If, if only. Oh, yeah, I forgot to actually tell you what happened in Casey at the bat. So Casey at the bat... Um, the original story is basically about this hotshot baseball player who 
um, he is so arrogant that he he basically refuses to hit the first two um, pitches because they're not up to his standard, and then he strikes out on the third one. Yeah, that's great. Which is great. I have a quick question about the the the, the original. Yeah. Um, because this is com- you said this is completely faithful. The so like, r- original which one? Misogyny and all. Um, I mean, it's more just like women loved him. Yeah. I don't know if it's really like misogyny necessarily in the original. I mean, in the first one, I don't know about the sequel, but like, it's more just like ladies loved him even if they knew nothing about baseball, which I thought was just kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I guess. I guess. Yeah. It wasn't, it's because it's not like all women know nothing about baseball and yet all women love him. It was more just like. I may have interpreted it as more malicious than it was. Oh, no, it was just like, like Casey fangirls. Yeah. You know, I thought of it like, like the, the ladies from Beauty and the Beast that were hooked on Gaston. Oh. Oh, I thought it it was harmless. I think a little, a little bit of harmless sexism isn't ever a bad thing. Well, and because it never made a judgment call on like the women, like as people, it was just more like they're, they're boy crazy, which, yeah, you know, valid. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, and I liked their animation and their like style. They're really cute. They are cute. I they think, are Freddy's girls. Yeah, it was helped because they're in like nineteenth century clothing. Like, uh, yeah. what's the word? Gibson girls. They were like Gibson girls. Gibson girls. What are what yeah. are? They're a specific like style of. Um, I think it's like an artist that started painting them or something. But they're like women of that time. You've seen Gibson. I'm sure you've seen Gibson Girls. I keep wanting to call them Gilmore Girls. I'm sure I have seen Gibson. I know I haven't seen the Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah, I've seen these girls before. Yeah, they're Gibson Girls. Gibson again, Girls. Again, I keep wanting to call them Gilmore Girls. Um, But yeah, so yeah, they're kind of Gibson Girls. So, um, now that we've done the characters and the source material and everything, should I go on with the plot outline? I would love for you to. Yay! Plot outline. Let's start with fun and fancy free. Yeah. Um, but, 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 fun and fancy free starts out with a little jaunty tune where Jiminy Cricket tells us to lighten up and learn to chill out. Stop reading boring classical literature and being bummed about global poverty and the grisly aftermath of World War II and just take a chill pill like I, an immortal cricket who exists independently of law, religion, and nature, am doing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> of course, of course. You know? Of course. Uh, really harsh in my mellow, dude. Your whole World War II-ish. Yeah, like, if you're poor, just don't be poor, just man. Just don't be poor, man. Just Stop go out reading. and live a bohemian lifestyle. Break Stop. into someone's house. <laughs> Stop reading Wuthering Heights. Just, you know, vibe. All right, so Jiminy pulls another B&E, this time, <laughs> this time in present day instead of centuries ago in Italy, which... You know, concerning. Uh, then, because it's never explained. Uh, is he immortal? We don't know. Um, he's just there. He's, he's, he's an animated cricket. <laughs> he's just there. 
Uh, then he puts on a record that tells us the story of Bongo, a little circus bear that answers the question, what if Dumbo but Bambi? Bongo is a pampered, trained circus bear, both highly prized and inhumanely kept by a traveling circus. One day, he escapes his cage and heads into nature to sow his wild oats as a real bear. Wild oats are a little hard to sow when you've been domesticated and fed all your life, so Bongo has some trouble being a bear and doing bear stuff. He finally finds Lulabelle, the little girl bear who lives in the wild, and the two hit it off famously in a musical scene with more cartoon hearts and baby cupids than a Walgreens candy aisle in February. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Despite their lovey-dovey encounter, Bongo is immediately an outsider when the other bears in the community show up. Now, prior to this point, the only bears we've seen are Bongo, Lulabelle, and Lumpjaw, who's Rano the Asshole Stag's bear equivalent. <laughs> that being the case, I was forced to question whether or not the Disney animators had ever actually seen a bear before. <laughs> Once the other bears arrive, it becomes clear they have indeed seen at least one bear. Those main three are just like that. Yeah, they're not like... They're, they're vaguely bear-shaped. Like, Lulabelle... Uh, that that's so weird to me. Lulabelle and Bongo are presumably like full-grown bears, right? They seeming like four feet tall. Presumably, they're they're very small. They're like Dumbo-sized bears, but Dumbo's baby. They're not baby. They could be baby. No, I don't think they're baby because they do courting things. They do courting things. Yeah, spiritually, Bongo is baby. Spiritually, yes. Um. All right. So. Anyway, uh, bears canonically practice physical abuse as a means, well, apparently not just as a means, but the only means, to express romantic interest in one another. Yeah. This is taught to us through a jaunty little tune with the recurring line, a bear likes to say it with a slap. It, it's not just a jaunty, t it's a square dance. It's uh, choreographed. So, you know, hey there, kids. Glad you tuned into this one. Watch carefully as Bongo's girlfriend deserts him because he doesn't know he needs to smack the shit out of her to seal the deal. But don't worry, we get a happy ending. He finally hauls back and wallops her across the face. Keep it fun and fancy for you guys. To be, just, to, just to play the devil's advocate here, she does hit him a lot more and a lot harder than he hits her. Wow. Wow. That's the argument that you're... This is, listen, okay? Wow, I'm the not- The sun is shining, the birds are singing, the grass is green, it's a very nice hill, but I'm not prepared to die on it. I'm so glad, because we are not even, nope, we're not even on that hill. That's not, <laughs> that's not this episode. This ain't the episode. <laughs> this ain't the episode for that. I don't know we'll if we will even get to that episode. We'll save that for Tangled when we talk about domestic abuse. Oh god, yep. Here we go. So, after Bongo, we're taken back to Jiminy, who finds a party invitation from the house next door and decides to add party crashing to his list of crimes. Uh, though, to be fair, I guess it's pretty morally ambiguous, especially compared to home invasion. Yeah, party crashing is like a dick move, whereas home invasion is like, go to jail. Yes. Um... So at this, at this party is Edgar Bergen, a famous ventriloquist from the 50s, along with his dummies, Charlie and Mortimer, and Luanna Patton, an adorable little child actress. 
I was, oh yeah, I was tempted for the briefest of moments to dwell on the fact that this party in, in its entirety consists only of a little girl and an adult man with two puppets, but ultimately decided <laughs> against it because if we brought up every single creepy thing Disney has put in their films, especially the early ones, our runtime would easily triple. Yeah. Uh, also, despite the premise being creepy, the content is actually pretty wholesome. Uh, so Bergen begins to tell Luana and the rest of us the story of Mickey and the Beanstalk, which begins with a beautiful, fertile valley that turns dry and dead when the magic lady harp, whose music kept the valley fruitful, is stolen by a selfish giant. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy live in the valley, and when on the brink of starvation they decide to sell their cow for food, Mickey becomes our Jack by trading Bessie for some beans. Shenanigans ensue. The beanstalk grows overnight and takes their house up with it in a scene both Nate and I are kind of obsessed with. And yeah. <laughs> it's just so good. It's so good. It's so fluid. It's so fluid. It's like, yeah, it's so it's it's so good. Um, and our three jacks, or more accurately, one jack and two jackasses, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fumble their way through the giant's castle. As it turns out, the fearsome Willie the Giant is less a lumpjaw Rano-type villain and aligns more closely with our favorite, don't want to put a name to it, one-tooth wonders, such as Dopey and Hephaestus. Uh, despite his magic and the fact that he's a giant with squishing capabilities, Mickey and co. get out of there with the help of Golden Harp Lady, eventually escaping and living happily ever after in the reinvigorated valley below. Willie falls to his death. Or what the narrator claims is his death. Because right as we make it to the live-action frame story, the roof is popped right off to reveal the ginormous face of Willie, who's popped in to politely ask them Mickey's whereabouts. Not receiving much help from the just-fainted Bergen or the babbling puppets, Willie replaces the roof. The film ends with my favorite part. Slowly, in a wide-angle shot, Willie makes his way through live-action downtown L.A., stomping past bright neon signs and ignoring the honking cars. He stops to rip a giant derby hat off of a sign, stuffs it onto his head, then keeps walking, heading deeper into L.A. I got a little bit of trivia that might make you love that even more. Oh, yeah? The Brown Derby is actually a restaurant. Oh, it's the Brown Derby Diner! I was wondering if it was going to be the Brown Derby Diner. It is. It's the ah. he, he picks up the whole brown derby diner and just That is incredible. Yeah. That's so funny. Um and and that's a nod to Disney like didn't he meet uh what's his face at the brown derby diner? He did. He met um uh uh Leo oh, Stakowski. Leo Stakowski. He met Leo Stakowski at the Brown Derby Diner. The guy that the guy that conducted the music for uh Fantasia. For yeah. everyone who and because like forgot. Disney like spent like most of his career there in LA, he loves well, he loved the Brown Derby Diner. That's that's really funny. I was wondering yeah, about that because I was like I was like, should I look that up? But then I was lazy. Um Fun fact, if you ever want to go to the Brown Derby Diner and you don't want to go to California, you can just go to Disney's Hollywood Studios in Florida. Hmm. Because they they just have a reproduction there where you can actually sit and get food and look at the caricatures. Nice. That's the what's the one, uh, like present day, Disney thing that you can point at it and say, that's what Disney would have wanted. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep, it's the one direct thing. All right, so 
Uh, now let's go into Make Mine Music. So for Make Mine Music, I hate that name, by the way. I just, it doesn't sound like, it sounds like, it sounds like you would see it at like a, um, a shop in a country that doesn't speak English, like in Italy or like in like Japan or something. And you'd see those words in English on a shirt, like Make Mine mm. Music, and it just doesn't like work, but it sounds cool. That's it sounds cool. like if you go into like a speakeasy bar where like the bartenders pretend it's like the twenties. Yeah. And then uh yeah, and then um you order one of their specialty drinks. That's one of their specialty drinks. The make my music. And it comes like bubbling for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, so for for, for make my music, the, the cocktail of the day, um, most of the segments are really just music videos more than anything else. It's devoid of any sort of plot. Uh, so we start out with the Martins and the Coys, basically just the Hatfields and the McCoys combined with a warped Romeo and Juliet theme when a guy and a girl from two mutually hated and mutually destroyed families fall in love. <laughs> uh, the story is sung by the Kingsmen. I love the Kingsmen. Me too. They didn't do shit for Humpty Dumpty, though. Yeah. Uh, n- <laughs> n- it's because all the King's horses were just sabotaging the whole thing. Yeah, like why would you get the horses involved? Yeah, that's they they do stomp. They, they don't have they, thumbs. They're good at stomp. You don't you don't need stomp in an egg rescue. <laughs> you need the opposite <laughs> of stomp. Um, God no, that makes me want to make another stupid reference. You need oh, an we gotta move on. Don't don't mention stomp. Um, all right, so <laughs> next is Blue Bayou, a complete tonal one eighty from the previous song. Soft vocals from the Ken Darby singers add to the serenity of two egrets wading through a moonlit bayou. Yet another tonal shift brings us back into the jiving groove with All the Cats Join In, where Benny Goodman and his orchestra lay down a slick, jazzy backdrop to 40s teens cruising down to the soda shop. There is a palpable look-at-how-cool-American-teens-are vibe right down to the giant ice cream sundae with a little American flag sticking out of the top. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can feel it. It's very overt. Look at us cool cats. All the cats join in. You can be a cat, too. Just come to America. Yeah, Unless... hip cats, cool chicks. Hip cats, cool chicks. As long as you're from... You know, America. the the UK or Central Europe. As long um, as you don't play a ukulele, we hate that. We hate that. Yeah, we hate ukuleles, and we hate books, which is true. Um, it's accurate. Social commentary. Not much has changed, except we now changed. get a one eighty on ukuleles for some reason. Yeah, for some reason. Um, well, because they're very portable, you know. Yeah. So without you is next, where Andy Russell whines about lost love. Yeah, up and down, up and down. Let's ride this roller coaster. I know of emotion. it's literally like, yeah, it really is. Because I was looking at it, and it really is just up and down, up and down, up and down. Which is like, have you ever been to a musical before? <laughs> like, don't call this a musical if you're just gonna do up and down, up and down, up and down. Anyway, um, you gotta you gotta lump them together. You gotta mix mix them together. Anyway, you gotta have the rising. You gotta have the falling, and then you have one more rising. You can't just go. Yeah, exactly. And and since the um since the Martins and the Coys got cut in America because of all things gun <laughs> violence, which is so funny to me, uh, <laughs> that it got cut in America because it showed too much like gun depictions. Yeah, too much, too rootin' and tootin' with their shooting. Yeah, and we don't want that in America. 
Yeah. We're fine with the we're domestic all, abuse We're metaphor. all about gun control here in America. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you don't know. Um, but yeah, we start out with Martin's the Coys, but then that gets cut. So the whole thing after the credits that are like, whoa, go to the theater. Yeah, we're so excited. Oh my God, look at all the cool things that we have. And then it's like, you. <laughs> it's just like, whoa. At best, you fall asleep. At worst, you get really depressed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all right. I almost fell asleep. Yeah. No, it's one of those. You should have, they should have like done that one second to last or something. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so uh, Casey at the Bat comes next after Without You. Um, Casey at the Bat is narrated by Jerry Colonna. Colonna? Colonna? Colonna. 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 Jerry Colonic. Jerry Colon. Jerry Cognac. And this quirky adaptation of the famous poem by Ernest Thayer depicts a cocky small town baseball player whose arrogance leads him to strike out. Two Silhouettes is the next one, and it's basically just like all the other sappy songs. It does have pretty cool visuals, though. And it's sung gorgeous. by Dinah Shore. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. Love Dinah Shore. She is gorgeous. Mm. So, we, uh, next we have Peter and the Wolf. That is an animated dramatization of the famous Prokofiev musical composition. With oh, who, um, who narrates that? Our friend, Sterling Holloway. Oh, Sterling Holloway. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. This, I, I wrote in our favorite Onceler Stork, and then I deleted it. <laughs> 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 because I was well, like, mm, this ain't the one. <laughs> He is. He is. Uh, so this short is about Peter, a Russian kid who decides to go hunting for the big scary wolf in the forest. Peter goes armed with a cork gun, so the hunting mission's already off to a stellar start. And his friends Sasha and Sonia, a bird and a duck respectively, come with him. After a long fight with the wolf and what appears to be the brutal murder of Sonia, don't worry, she's fine. Well, in the Disney version at least. Yeah. Peter emerges triumphant carting the wolf into town amidst cheers and much revelry. They do a really good job. By the way, I should have said they this earlier because they do a really good job with it and everything else, but they do a really good job with the dancing. Yeah. Yeah. I've always yeah. loved the way these early films animate dances, you know? Yeah. The, 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 the square dancing in the Martins and Coys. The, uh, the and the and the bear, scoping. even the bear square dancing, the bear dancing. Yeah, the bear dancing. It's actually really good. And uh, the, the 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 rotoscoping of um of uh the two silhouettes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that one's gorgeous. Like it's really pretty. Yeah, dance looks really good in Disney. Yeah, so far. So far. Um. Cross that bridge when we find it. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well. Well cross that bridge when, when we dance over it um all right so after you've gone is a wild jazzy ride of anthropomorphic instruments played by benny goodman and the goodman quartet that's all i have for that one it's really i tried so hard to describe it but i was like yeah. there's you can't the the flute turns into a waterfall and then there's colors um it uses <laughs> surrealism in the mm-hmm. way that um uh Tokata and Fugue uses 
uh, abstraction. Yeah. And it does it better. It does it better. It is what Takata and Fugue should have been. So, uh, Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet is next. And, guys, this short is one of my fondest memories of anything I watched as a child. The Andrews sisters harmonize and croon the story of Johnny, a gray fedora, and his true love, Alice, a blue flowery bonnet. Despite their plans to grow old together in the window of the department store, fate and the cold-hearted retail industry has other plans, and they're soon bought and separated. Johnny never gives up, and later, when he hears Alice's voice in a crowd, he throws himself off his owner's head and is carried by the breeze. Away from Alice, unfortunately. He gets battered and tattered on the streets, picked up by a ruffian and smashed in a bar fight, then tossed onto the street and blown elsewhere by the wind. Then he's picked up by an ice cart driver and stuffed onto the head of a cart horse, because I guess that's what you do when you have a horse-drawn ice cart. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I guess they do that. Um, I guess to like keep the sun out of the horse's eyes. That's nice of them. Yeah. It's ice of them. Oh. Oh. Get out of my house. <laughs> okay. Get out of uh, this house of mouse. Jim- <laughs> hey, my name's not Jimmy the Cricket. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, he never gets caught. Yeah, he never gets caught because um, he's a cricket. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, it doesn't matter because on the horse next to him is Alice. They're both scuffed, battered, and discarded, but now they can finally be together, living happily ever after. It's such a good song. Um, you Johnny Blue Bonnets. Johnny Blue Damn Bonnets it. and Alice Fedora's. I support that. I support that. Um, I, I want to see that adaptation now. Yeah, now I, next on our, our Tumblr fan art list. Um, but like, wholesome though. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a, that would be a really good, that would be a good sequel. There you go. Uh, so the last segment is The Whale Who Wanted to Sing at the Met, yeah. a bittersweet story that might have been intended as comedic, but just turns out kind of a bummer. <laughs> this operatic yeah. piece, where all the voices are sung by Nelson Eddy, what a king, is the story of Willie the Whale, a sperm whale who has an incredible singing voice. Rumors about this spread through the scientific community and finally reach Tetti Tatti an impresario who's convinced this whale must have swallowed an opera singer. Despite Willie's big dreams and bigger musical gift, his oceanic performance for Tetitati is cut short when the guy savagely harpoons him. But hey, now Willie gets to sing in heaven as a whale ghost, so that totally justifies the theme here that people would destroy that which they don't understand, which actually it was just Tetitati because the sailors seemed totally chill just listening to the whale sing, which completely throws off the story's moral and knocks it into a baseless purgatory of failed metaphors, so good job there, Disney. Bravo, bravissimo. Encore, really, encore. Nailed it right on the head. Oh, thank you. Uh, Nailed it right on the square in the noggin. Square and harpooned it right, right in the, the nose. Right in the right in the whale killing spot. But seriously, like the sailors were fine with it. The only human that we see that isn't okay with the whale is Tati Tati, and he's an asshole from the beginning. So, yeah, he's an Ahab. He's a, he he is an Ahab. Like that's and I was like I was gonna mention that it it seems like kind of Moby Dick ish, but then mm-hmm. I was like ah. Uh... It's a whale and a guy that kills a whale. They He's not Moby, but he is dickish. He is dickish indeed. So, 
that is so. what I have for the plot of both Make My Music and Fun and Fancy Free. That is lovely stuff. Thank you very much. I I worked very hard on it. And by you ready that, to I hear mean, about the not. You ready to hear about the uh, background stuff? Sure. I know you sure. struggled a little bit with the production of this. I did. Um, and then there was some stuff that I feel like I could have explored a little. Like, I didn't explore Nelson Eddy at all. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't explore Jerry Kalana at all. I feel like I really neglected um, the performers in um, Make Mine Music. Yeah. But okay. mostly because I focused on the fun and fancy free performers. Oh. And that's uh, so funny, by the way, with like fun and fancy free, uh, where it's basically like Disney just said, like, hey, so I heard that you guys were mad that I don't credit any of my voice actors. So not only will I credit them, they're going to be part of the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> so you're welcome. If you can get them, you can you just pop them out there, man. Yep. It's like not only I'm not just going to credit them. They're literally going to be part of an active part of the story. We're going to have Dinosaur's name blasted right right on there. Yeah. And if if you can get if you can get Edgar Bergen, you just let yeah. everybody know that Edgar Bergen is here. Yeah. And we're going to roast the hell out of him. Oh yeah. Never heard of him. Yep, never heard of him. All right. So, yeah, sorry, go on. Fun fact, I I'm just going to start off with uh Dinosaur and Edgar Bergen. Oh, nice. Um we're going to, actually, I'm going to do a, a real quick write-up, it says, because it's been so long since I wrote these notes that I forgot what was in them. Oops. Uh, I got a real quick write-up of three people who had a hard start and made it to the top, each of them involved with these two pictures. Hmm. The first is, of course, the darling Dinah Shore, who sang the uh, Two Silhouettes segment in Make Mine Music and narrated Bongo the Bear in Fun and Fancy Free. Born as, and you're going to love this middle name, Francis Rose Stein. Hey! 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 Uh, 1917, youngest daughter. Uh, she was in, she was Jewish in Tennessee. Hey. Youngest daughter. You're okay. Jewish in Tennessee? No, oh, you I'm are... the youngest daughter. <laughs> okay, you're the youngest daughter. You weren't yeah. Jewish in Tennessee. Yeah. Well, I okay, might be. You she... don't know. She was, though, surrounded by Protestants. And she oh. felt that she had to make herself into an exemplary person in order to not be subjected to whatever happens when you're Jewish in Tennessee, mm -hmm. surrounded by Protestants in the 20s. Mm -hmm. Her results were a smashing success, as she was voted best all-around girl in the class upon graduation from, and I shit you not, Hume Fogg High School. What was that first part? Hume. 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 H-U-M-E. F-O-G-G. Hmm. That what's what's their like, what's their mascot? I don't the, know. The but fighting it sounds cloud. Like a, it sounds like a fake name for a high school. It sounds more fake than best all around girl in the class. But yes. I don't doubt that either of those are real. They're too absurd not to be real in the twenties. Best all around girl, dynamite yeah. gal. Dynamite. Oh my god, you stole my joke from the very end. Oh, of this. I am so sorry. It's I okay. Just... I love it. Stumbled, I love how smart you do. Stumbled upon that. Well, actually, when I was first saying it, I didn't mean it as a pun, but as I said it, I realized that it was a pun. Yeah. And it strengthened me immeasurably. You're too smart for me. I'm I'm just too smart for my own good. But yeah, she wasn't uh, just academically great, you know. She was also very active. In addition to her singing, she played a little tennis, danced a little ballet, swam a little swim. 
was this was also <laughs> impressive though. A little swim. Uh, and this was impressive because she had herself a bout of polio when she was a little over a year old, Damn, as Dinah. one does in the twenties. Damn, Dinah. Yeah. yeah, her mother helped her recover from the paralyzed right leg she'd been left with, and Whoa. fully recovered to tennis, swim, and ballet. Further, uh, uh. majored in sociology at Vanderbilt University, headed the women's government club, presided over her sorority as president, sang on the radio for the first time in '37, did so well that the very next year after graduation, she landed a singing job on the radio, and in '39, with an orchestra. The hell, that Dinah? Yeah, changed her name to Dinah right about then, and based on a song that she sang, and uh she would have a radio career that belted out all the way into 55. In 51, she got her own 15-minute TV show, The Dinah Shore Show. In 56, she got an hour-long variety show, The Dinah Shore Chevrolet Show, because a car will get you three times the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Uh, had a daughter, adopted a son, semi-retired in the 60s to spend more time with them, all the way up until 1970, when she hit us with a whole new TV show, followed by another TV show, and so on and so forth. Sponsored a golf tournament in the 80s, did a multi-city concert tour in 81, stayed touring all the way up until her death in 94. Absolute dynamite. She she truly is a dynamite gal. Truly. Wow. Truly, truly is. Wow. That is amazing. I, I didn't know any of that. Yeah. No, she's, um, she was, I, I figured you would love this chick. Yeah. Because she was just, like, one of the most amazing people. And now we move on to, quite possibly, the most famous ventriloquist of all time. Ooh, and surprisingly unproblematic, unless you found something. Uh, not quite. Uh, up next we've got Edgar Bergen, ventriloquist and host of the world's saddest little party, who (laughs) also changed his name to Edgar Bergen from Ed- Edgar Bergerin. Not quite as daring as Fanny Stein, but he tried. Yeah, he tried. Yeah, born as a first-generation Swede in Chicago, 1903, who straight-up worked his way around local functions as a comedian whilst belting out sketches of newsboy characters he created named Charlie McCarthy. Uh, as it turns out, these sketches just so happened to coincidentally look like a generic stock ventriloquist dummy made by the famous Theo Mack and Sons, who were famous for providing dummies uh, to dummies in the vaudeville market for their day. <coughs> so in 22, he gets himself a real wooden Charlie and expands his goofs and gags on the vaudeville circuit. Got a gig at a private party in honor of Noel Coward at the Rainbow Room in New York City. I recognize most of those things individually, so I know how <laughs> impressive that is. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, after that, he was booked on the radio by a couple of execs who just happened to be there because, you know, it was Noel Coward's big honor- honorable party, you know? he mm-hmm. Famous writer of the time or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he got his own radio show in 37, added the character Mortimer Snurd, Country Bumpkin, who he also got a glimpse at, Shortly after this appearance, however, in 1944, uh, he would add a third puppet, Effie Clinker, a sassy old maid. Oh. After, right? 
Uh, after a near decade on the radio, he thought he'd take a crack at films, like Fun and Fancy Free. However, after a near decade on the radio, he'd also lost most of his lip control for the sake of being able to say words that begin with a B. Mm-hmm. However, characters he created were so good, so strong, that nobody gave a shit. He was just as popular ever in 1950s and beyond. It's wow. also worth noting at this point that he's a special Oscar recipient. He's the only man ever to, and I shit you not, get a wooden Oscar with a slotted movable mouth <laughs> that you can use as a ventriloquist dummy. What? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Announced his retirement in 78. Uh, died shortly after the announcement, but just before his retirement. Long regarded as one of the greatest ventriloquists of all time. Right up there with Jim Henson and anyone that isn't Jeff Dunham. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yep. Yeah. That so, lastly, uh, because this is still a Disney podcast, we're going to talk, of course, about one of the animators at Disney. Mm -hmm. uh, animator, story man, caricature artist. We've seen his name in credits since the very start of this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the abridged story of Mr. Teehee. Oh, Mr. Teehee. Mr. Teehee. Yay! It, it's fitting that we saw his name in just about every film so far. Yeah. Not only because he seems to do every job on the docket, but he's also worked in just about every company available at the time. He started up in MGM, was <laughs> Mr. poached Tee by Warner Bros. How's that? Mr. Teehee is like, it's like the, the bye-bye man's cousin. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Teehee. Mr. <laughs> the Baba Duke and Mr. Teehee. That's a oh, I want to watch that movie. Uh yep. All right. The anyway. Baba Duke versus the Bye Bye Man. The <laughs> so, Man. But yeah, he's worked at just about every company at the time. He was poached from MGM by Warner Brothers, then poached from Warner Brothers by Disney, where We'll know his work uh, directing Honest John and Gideon's interactions with Pinocchio. Oh. And all of the choreography in Fantasia's Dance of the Hours. Aha. Uh, uh -huh. Specifically in Make Mine Music, he was in charge of developing the story for the whale who wanted to sing at the Met. Quit Disney in 46, moved on to UPA Studios, won a few Academy Awards there. Got poached back just in time to work on Walt Disney Studios' first ever stop-motion animation, Noah's Ark, in 1959. Still not exhausted, he'd later work for Terry Tunes, join in with projects alongside our friends Bill Cottrell and Herb Ryman, which I'll get to when it's time. He co-founded the animation department in Cal Arts with uh, uh, Joe Barbera. Holy or was it Jack Hanna? Yeah, at wow. some point... And I'm certain at some point in the span of those years, he had to breathe. Well, you know, and he, he had to have enough breath to say tee. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm, his name is, by the way, I, I never mentioned his full name, Thornton He. Why would you abbreviate that to T? Uh, Why would guess, you abbreviate that to T? I guess he saw tee he, and like us, he went tee. <laughs> That's true, it's a name that is your T. But man, yeah. Thornton, that's a good that's a good name. Thornton is a great name. Thornton He is a pretty good name. T he is something that everybody is gonna remember. Yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe he's 
secretly maybe that's why he didn't get tired maybe he's secretly like a, a trickster like a chaotic trickster deity or like a trickster spirit and that was his like little hint as a little mm. wink because yep. his name's Teehee. I'm gonna do so much like legendary animation <laughs> and I'm gonna do it with the name Teehee. But yeah, um, I, I'm la- I'm also leaving out uh, one of the most important things mm. he did, and that was pitch a film, a feature-length film called The Legend of Happy Valley. In 1940, Teehee and Bill Cottrell pitched a story to Walt Disney that was literally so powerful, Walt was roaring with laughter and crying over it. Wow. Walt loved it. He loved it so much that he called others in to hear it. Uh, and in front of a small crowd, T and Bill asked when it would go into production. And Walt said that it would not. <gasps> as much as he loved it, the whole pitch, he hated what it was doing to the star, Mickey Mouse. You see, the, the feature-length film they pitched was The Legend of Happy Valley. And he wanted... he They wanted to use Mickey Mouse as Jack, but... Walt Disney was convinced at the time that Mickey Mouse was not supposed to be some actor to be a place filler in a role. He was a character unto himself. Mm. So to put him in as Jack, uh, that would be the wrong decision for Mickey. I see. So the whole pitch was shelved. And years later, in desperation, after the successful production of a film comprised entirely of odds and ends, dead stories and forgotten ideas Walt reconsidered as he prepared to make his official second package feature film Fun and Fancy Free Wow I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say that he said that it wouldn't become a movie and then he like stole the idea and... Nope nope he he shelved it because he didn't like the idea of Mickey Mouse being an actor and then out of desperation he went back on the shelf and said all right, Thornton, Bill. Well, he said, all right, Bill, Thornton, call me Teehee. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Knock it off, Thornton. <laughs> that's but that's, the, that's literally the story of these two films. Wow. Regarded by animator and financier and Walt himself alike as Walt's rummage sale of ideas. <laughs> First, let's take a look at the divisions in the studio again. You know those divisions in the studio? Last time we had cultural divisions, those on the trip to South America versus those not, and those who went on strike versus those who did not. Well, December 8th, 1941, a whole new set of divisions began to pop up. First, it was the animators who were being drafted to fight in World War II. Second, it was the animators who were enlisting to fight in World War II. Third, it was the animators who could not enlist in World War II for whatever reason, who were picked up nonetheless as the United States Army requisitioned half of the Burbank studio for a base of operations. And with it came the volunteer work of Walt and many of his workers in producing so much military propaganda. What we have left after this is barely a skeleton crew. Many of the old reliable animators who would go on to eventually become uh, what are known as Walt's Nine Old Men and the inexperienced and the overexperienced working with scraps. For example, Bongo and Mickey and the Beanstalk were barely finished, fully formed concepts, cut down to the size of 
half film shorts. Blue Bayou, the short from Make Mine Music, was made entirely from a Claire de Lune short cut at the last minute from Fantasia. The song Fun and Fancy Free was a B-side cut from Pinocchio, hence why Jiminy is involved to sing it. In fact, as much as you've said it, how Bongo is the combination of Dumbo and Bambi, it was originally conceived as a potential sequel film to Dumbo. And That's what I put in my opinion. I was like, it's so totally different, but it's so totally similar to Dumbo. They should have done it as a double, like a double feature. Yes. And, and, it's, and cut down Dumbo and then just added in on the, the other part. It would, And it would have been like two movies if they had their way. Uh, that's but funny. you know what happened December 8th, 1941? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Things and happen. we would have seen we would have seen many familiar characters return. We would have seen the elephants that we hate so much. Mm-hmm. We would have probably seen the stork. Um just... but for, but let's go with what we saw. What we saw in Bongo was the tree nearly falling on him. That tree fall nearly falling on him is complete is completely recycled from Bambi with the fire on the flaming tree scrubbed off. It's one of the most obvious examples of recycled animation to date, but it's definitely not the last. You can see plenty of recycled animation uh, in Willy and the Whale. Uh, You can see plenty of recycled animation actually from that in Bongo the Bear. Not plenty of it, but like the clapping hands in the audience. They recycled that. And in, um, in Bongo, I, yeah, I thought that the forest creatures themselves were really similar to Bambi too. Like, there are certain parts. Like, there's yeah. one part that it's, like, the pheasant family, which, by the way, it cracks me up because it's, like, this very calming scene and, like, fun, loving, chill song. And then the pheasant dad just, like, smacks the hell out of his kids for no reason at all. No no reason. And then it just keeps moving on with the, you know, quiet beat. And it's like, what, why did he just do that? Um, But, yeah, I could totally see that then. Yeah. And that's just a a couple examples of how things that were scrapped and scrubbed uh, were cobbled together to make feature-length films. Things were very grim at the Disney Animation Studios, and they furthered another divide, a very important divide. The divide between Walt Disney and the art of animation itself. Mm. Uh, That divide got so deep that this is where he made the decision to finally stop being the official voice of Mickey Mouse. I was wondering if you're going to bring that up, because if you didn't, I was yeah. going to. Oh, absolutely. And this this must have been an emotional separation for him. Uh, but right in the middle of production of Mickey and the Beanstalk, he got wind of Mr. Jimmy McDonald, one of his sound effects guys, who could do an adequate falsetto. He asked mm-hmm. him to do an audition, then asked him to finish it off. Now, did this maybe also have something to do with Walt being a chain smoker and obliterating his throat and lungs? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, maybe. Oh, King. Only the ghosts know for certain now. Yeah. I was going to think it was also, I thought it might also be because he was sad that Mickey is a character in Jack and the Beanstalk, which is against what he had wanted. That's got to be part of it. That's got to be a huge part of it, you know? Like, all the compromises he has to make as a um, patron of the arts. It's hard to call Walt Disney an artist unto himself, but... um, Yeah. 
he's definitely like a, a coordinator and a patron of the arts. That's undeniable. Actually, quick history lesson in um in ancient Greece, specifically in ancient Athens, a patron um, that actually describes Walt more than you would think because a patron it was a very highly regarded social figure um, in Greece, and it's kind of like um director, producer, and financier, 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 whatever. Um, I think financier works. The the backer, the financial backer of um an artistic like a play or something or a festival, and so the mm-hmm. patron of a chosen festival basically is extreme you know has to pay a lot of money in order to put the show on and also produce it and um help out and direct it and and do everything for it and so they were a, it was a position of like really high honor in the community and that's that's what the word patron comes from um and that's what and the I word think patronizing just... too but that's a negative connotation right and i think there's nothing to be ashamed of if you're like a patron in that sense mm-hmm. like if you have a good idea and you know you can't do it, like there's, but you have the means to get it done, there's no shame in that, you know? Yeah. Well, because I, I just was going to say, because patron of the arts normally means like you just are a a customer, but, you know, pretty much where you attend artistic endeavors or you, you know, you like to go to museums or go to plays or go and support it from like mm-hmm. an audience standpoint. But patron but it originally. Used to mean, yeah, it used to mean so much more. Yeah, you would literally be like the producer of the art. You'd be, pay, you know, paying for it to happen and making you basically making the art happen. It's like if instead of you, you know, going to a museum and looking at a painting, you paid for an artist to have their painting in that museum. Yeah, a commissioner. Yeah, kind of like a commissioner, um, yeah. but it's for the public rather than for you. Right. Yeah, I think that's and that's the kind of person that I'd like to be. You know, mm-hmm. like. That it's is the kind of person specifically you are, kind of, <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, that's the that's why that's the that's the part that's the aspect of Walt Disney that I like so much. You know, like he's got a lot of negative, a lot of he, he's got a lot of negative parts to him. Mm-hmm. Like I I can't. Uh, the reason I'm trying to I'm finding the trying to find the gravity of to say he does have a lot of negative parts to him, mm-hmm. but. He also did so much that, you know, it's okay to want to emulate. Yeah. You know, he he inspired uh, futurism. He inspired art. He inspired culture. And he he poured his money into that haphazardly. And because of that, you know, unfortunately, it resulted in one of the greatest and most powerful monopolies in the history of the world. Yeah. But other than that, you know, you, you did a pretty good job with a mouse. <laughs> this is true. So, a mouse which we are now dissecting. We are now dissecting that mouse. So, here's another little bit of information. Uh, the one thing that we know for certain is that Make Mine Music the product of these bits and bobs cobbled together as was historically obliterated by critics. And if you read the Amazon reviews of any of the rare DVD releases, you'll see that those sentiments echo through time. Uh, This is probably why the release of this film has been, let's just say, erratic. Uh, First released uncut in the 80s on Laserdisc, 
in Japan, <laughs> next released in America uh, in the early 2000s, with editing done to all the cats join in, and the Martins and Coys totally missing. Released again, uncut, 2013, only in the United Kingdom, uh, which is how Abby and myself uh, watched it, by the way. Mm -hmm. Wait, I thought, uh, totally I thought ours legally. was a Swedish copy. Never mind that. Never mind that. <laughs> you know, we and we yeah. purchased all of this with cash in a local thrift store that caused down and also had the Region 2 DVD. And then they were stolen just yesterday. Such a shame. Such a shame. It's such a shame. Very sad what uh, the pandemic has done to us. By the way, it's never been legally released in Australia. Hmm. As far as those absolute champions know, until now, this movie has never existed. <laughs> what a loss for Australia. What a cultural loss for Australia. Yeah, it's very you sad. You know, first first they have to be afflicted by Blinky Bill, and now they don't even get Make Mine Music. Yeah, exactly. They but, deserve yeah, it for that's... all the stuff they've done to the Aboriginal people. You know, it's it, it's adequate. Yeah. Um, mm. That's interesting, though. That's interesting. I wonder how I found it then. I remember yeah. watching it a lot as a kid. It was released um, on VHS. I love how America. that's the thing that my mom showed me. Like, that's not, you know, like any, like, super popular, like, not Fox and the Hound, not Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> not, <laughs> not uh, you know, Little Mermaid, but Make My Music. <laughs> I'm willing to bet she wanted to expose you specifically to music, and it has Maybe. music in the title. Maybe, because I don't, but I don't even remember, like, Fantasia as much as I remember Make Mine Music. Well, if they had called Fantasia, you know, Make Fantasia Music, maybe make, they would have I thought you were just more. saying Make Fantasia Great Again. No, I would never <laughs> say that. Hey! Um, Zing. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. That's cool. That's, so do you have yeah. any more production information? Nope. That's everything I've written down. So that's everything I think I came up with. Cool. Uh, um, I think all that's left are uh, our opinions. All right. Let's get down to onions. Um, oh, so I <laughs> I moved this to onion instead of um, instead of elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, talking about the the beginning credits of Fun and Fancy Free and the song mm -hmm. that we list, that we hear. Uh, the, the first song that we hear in Fun and Fancy Free, it starts us out with some really bad medical advice. Uh, there's, there's a line there. If you have a chronic ache, pills won't make you strong. The only tonic you should take is a teaspoonful of song. Yeah. Uh, has the statement been evaluated by a practicing medical professional? What does the FDA have to say about Jiminy Cricket's advice? Yeah, really, now that I think... This isn't even Jiminy Cricket. This is before Jiminy Cricket. It's the choir that sings it. Like, the people. This is oh, like right, yeah. Omniscient credit people. Um, but really, now that I think about it, this was probably seen as sound medical advice in 1947. It was the 40s, man. Yeah, considering that this is the age of ice pick lobotomies and healthy cigarettes... As oh. well as the as well as the tail end of the age of patent medicine, suggesting that your chronic illness be more effectively treated with music than prescribed medication is probably the least harmful claim they could have made. Uh, it might even be for the best, since this movie came out like three years before medicinal mercury was finally outlawed. Oh my god! <laughs> so it's it's actually pretty tame comparatively. 
Jesus. <laughs> Medicinal mercury. Yeah, I think they gave it to like children. <laughs> They called it they called it calomel and they were like mercury tablets or something. Well, considering that those children were the baby boomers, that explains an awful lot. Yeah. Just use music. They should have they should have just made music be your tonic. Ow. Yeah. If you have a chronic ache, pills won't make you strong. The only tonic you should take is a teaspoonful of song. Words to live by. Mm-hmm. Words um, to die by. Words to die by. But the the giant in Mickey and the Beanstalk can use magic to transform himself by chanting the famous fee-fi-fo-fum. And he's actually kind of clever at times when the others try to trick him. It's driving me crazy because I remember a similar fairy tale with a transforming giant and a jack-type character who plays three games with the giant to trick him. And I can't remember what it's called, but other than that, I thought the dynamic in the story was pretty cool and unique from the original without feeling too far apart from it. Um, that being said, I'm still not really sure where the lady harp came from. That, I, was, that was a bit of a left field situation. On one hand, I distinctly remember like there being like a, a, a story with a singing harp. I think but, the original uh, the original uh, Jack and the Beastock did have a harp, but I don't think it was a lady harp. Yeah, I was going to say like maybe I just saw this clip when I was a kid. Yeah, no, because Jack steals the goose lays a golden egg and then the harp but i didn't i didn't think it was a lady harp i thought it was just like a magic harp but fred moore said i won't be a part of this unless you can <laughs> let me design a pretty lady mm -hmm. um but yeah that's that's all i had for for my my onion um i thought that they were they were great movies i mean i I liked Fun and Fancy Free more because they were actually like stories, but um, I also liked Make My Music. I don't know why it got so much crap. I mean, the, the slow songs are kind of boring, but I thought the rest were really cute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. A, I think it was really, I think it was really well put together for, especially, you know, for what they did at the time, for what they had to work with at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. So what do you and it think? Was, it was it was received very well. I say it was critically blasted, but it was received very well by people. Okay. Yeah. 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 And like, we all we all know critics aren't people. So critics that makes are it, absolutely not people. That makes you know? more sense now. A critic is a, a is a kind of creature that will watch a film <laughs> and enjoy it and still say it was the worst thing they've ever watched. Yes. I enjoyed it, but what did it mean? Like they're so yeah. divorced from humanity. Shut yes. up and enjoy a movie. Yeah. There's yeah. a... Yeah, anytime... Really, anytime I, I look up a movie that is, like, one of my favorite movies, I will see that it has, like, a 67% critic review. And I'm like, oh. cool. Okay. Rotten <laughs> I guess Tomatoes I don't have any is, taste. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes is probably the worst website in the world. I know you're... I know you probably saw that on something else, but... I Rotten Tomatoes on, is sort of IMDb. ruined. Oh, ruined. IMDb's fine as like yeah. a, a database, but ruined. I mean that that's good because it is a internet movie database. <laughs> yes, it is an mm. IMDb. Oh boy, I sure do love the taste of my foot in my mouth. <laughs> well, I mean, it proves that it does its job correctly, so yeah. that's good. Um. So yeah, what did you think of the movies? Well, I'm gonna give you uh, I'm gonna give you my uh, onion sandwich. 
Cool. That's my observation, opinion, and my famous legendary crackpot theory. Yes. Oh, I also have two crackpot theories, but I'll wait until after you. I'm very excited for those. Mm -hmm. So my observations start off with noticing, hey, look, there's another pride rock in Bongo. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which prompted me to go back and do an official count of pride rocks that we've wow. recognized so far. So we had one in Fantasia during the Rite of Spring. We had one in Dumbo, learning to fly. We had three in Bambi, the field, the prince perch, and Bambi's leap. Bambi's leap. We had one in Three Caballeros, Gauchito, and I actually went back and counted the the one in Snow White where the witch plunges to her death. Uh-huh. It's Pride Rock, but seen from the opposite angle. Exactly. Pride Rock from the top. Yeah, so exactly. we have a grand total of eight Pride Rocks so far in Disney. Wow. Other than that, uh, I mostly observed cost-cutting measures that ensured an even cheaper-to-make than Dumbo set of pictures. You wouldn't have noticed the recycled footage back in, say, the 1940s, but being able to do what we do and watch them back to back to back affords us the curse of having that illusion shattered. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but way, way back in the day, you know, like, if you had footage that you could recycle and just, like, reuse, you could just do that. Because these movies came out, like, within several years of each other rather than watching them the next day. And in theaters, for the most part, and you know, and they didn't come out on VHS. Or Blu-ray. Or, or, oh god, they don't even have Blu-ray. How would you have survived? Have, I would not have. Yeah, that's true, you wouldn't uh, Yeah, as much as I talk shit about critics, I share a lot of things with that species. My opinion. Uh, I'm going to start with fun and fancy free. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, the least effort went into bongo mm -hmm. but the narration and story still hold strong ish don't yes. say love with a slap kids uh yep there are some Same. gorgeous sequences especially you know the uh love the lovey-dovey scene in bongo mm -hmm. and the beanstalk uh in mickey and the beanstalk you know absolutely gorgeous but between Dinah's voice and Edgar's voices, there's more than enough personality to keep me invested. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot to mention that. That was, like, my freaking favorite part of Mickey and the Beanstalk, where the entire time when Bergen is narrating, there's really funny commentary from um, Charlie and Mortimer. And it's, like, g it's genuinely funny. Not even, like, haha, they're weird puppets, but, like, no, it's legitimately funny and charlie yeah. for the majority of it is just like a mood yeah no yeah um like yeah just, he's just he's riffing mood. on everything he's like just like nihilistic completely cynical days pass weeks pass months pass i pass new hand <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> just, jokes like that. just like like fun and fancy free he's fun and fancy free he is fun and fancy free <laughs> He is the uh, eponymous fun and fancy free. He should have been there, not Gemini. The biggest mood I had with him was when he um when he came up with the pirate hat on, like, I'm the giant. Yeah. Why don't you take that off and be nice? Yes, sir. Everything I do is wrong. Yes, exactly. I, and there's there's so I felt that so deeply, like trying to out here trying to be funny and like everything you do is wrong. Just 
It's so good. And and like Bergen did the one thing that no puppeteer, no ventriloquist does that should be done is he took advantage of a puppet's ability to sit and stare off just bleakly into the middle distance <laughs> and look absolutely just like tired and just completely <laughs> defeated it is just poetry it's beautiful it's, it's gorgeous he does he did gorgeous work with those he gorgeous deserved work. that little wooden oscar yes exactly hi i'm oscar um <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so that's i loved yeah. that so and, i agree you know you just, you, when you add that into the uh visual quality um, which unfortunately wasn't often higher than the standard Disney short, but when it is, it is mm-hmm. like going back to that beanstalk, growing to the music and moving around and shifting through the moonlight. That looked incredible. Yeah, yeah, we looked... didn't we didn't do enough enough to describe what actually is happening. So basically, it's like this giant beanstalk that the the beans had fallen through the floorboards of the house. So essentially, you have the beanstalk as the beanstalk grows, the house is going with it, and so you see this scene where the house kind of slowly being taken apart, and Goofy in his bed is in his mattress is is kind of you know he floats out the window on top of it's... a a beanstalk thing and he falls and you think he's going to fall, but then another beanstalk catches him. It's, it's very like satisfying to watch as it yeah, goes. It's like tearing the house apart, tearing their beds apart, catching them and rolling them around. And it's just, it's gorgeous fun. It's if you, if you get a chance to watch this one, get it. It's so good. Get that chance. It's so good. It's like the best of like Looney Tunes and Mickey Mouse universe um shenanigans all rolled mm-hmm. into one and that's that's me on fun and fancy free um make mine music uh i have written down that a polished look is sacrificed for more experimental stylization uh to say it needs to be more cohesive would be a disservice to the stylistic freedom of the package feature format uh, but it's hard not to think when the quality varies so heavily. It uses rotoscoping, which wasn't often employed by Disney, uh, in more than one segment to great effect. And it's rarely been seen before, but it's it's a clear cost saver. Um, even the low budget and lower effort segments, however, are dripping with character and pure entertainment value. Some even possessing a genuine emotional impact. Nostalgia doesn't need to be a factor for this to become a fast favorite. And I I really want to drive home the fact that I have never seen this movie before uh, watching it with Abby for the first time in my life. Never once. Yeah. So, where's my crackpot theories? Oh, here they are. I, I hid them. Here we go. Uh, <clears throat> see, so, them, my you first hit, crackpot. You hid them from the government. I hid them from the government. I can't let them know. These are crackpot (laughs) theories. Mm -hmm, Yes. Yep, yep. So my first crackpot theory is it goes back to Pinocchio. Uh Where Monstro hits the wall, survives, and realizes he doesn't want to be destroyed by his anger. Yeah! So he finds a positive outlet in singing. Now, the, 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 
he has a lot of powerful emotions. So what better, more powerful form of singing is there than opera to get all those emotions out there? And someone could say that the design of Monstro is drastically different from the design of uh, Willie the Whale. But I would say that is affected by Monstro's perception of himself. He do, he's no longer seen as this giant monster, so he no longer sees himself as this giant monster. So we, the audience, no longer see a giant monster. We just see a whale. That's beautiful. And It is beautiful. But it's not... I, I feel like there's too much backing it up. I feel like it's too strong to be a real crackpot theory. <laughs> You're like, this is too which, legitimate of a theory. <laughs> which leads me into my second crackpot theory. Casey at the Bat's 10th child was a train. Casey Jr. Ooh, okay. The train from Dumbo. Okay. Okay. All right. That's That's crackpot. That's enough. I thought you were going to say that Teti Tati is descended from Pinocchio. And that no. it's like a lifelong feud. That, that's why he can't see past the, the whale's whaleness. Maybe. I mean, I never really thought of that, you know. Because Teti Tati makes... has, has an Italian accent. That's true. He's, he's connected to the only other Italian we've seen in Disney cinema. Exactly. There you go. And besides, he does kinda... besides the chef from... Uh, Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> or is oh, he a French chef? Yet. I don't know. Oh, yeah, we haven't. We, I, I thought you meant that we have seen, like, just in general in Disney. I'm like, there's been more Italian. But, yeah, we haven't seen yeah. any other besides this. This is the only Italians. <laughs> one of them is a traumatized puppet, and the other one murders a whale. Yep. You choose. Choose your fighter. Choose, choose your own adventure. Choose your own Italian Disney adventure. Mm-hmm. It's very specific. Yeah. Um, so those are interesting crackpot theories. Do you have any other crackpot theories, or can I get into mine? Nope, just Monstro is a singer, and uh, Casey's tenth child is a train. Honestly, Casey's such a womanizer, I would not doubt that he would have sex with a train. Yeah, he just, he just has a, he has a train. Yeah. He just has a train boy. Yep. Yeah. Maybe Sorry. he adopted him. Maybe. Maybe Casey Jr. adopted a train so he could mm. run the bases like a locomotive. Exactly. Well, in Casey, the problem with there being a sequel to Casey at the Bat is Casey is not a character that's meant to be built upon. Yeah. You know? Because once you build upon him and add in a family and, like, morals and stuff, then it doesn't... You lose what makes it Casey. Yeah. He you doesn't know? hold up. He doesn't yeah. hold up over time. Yeah. He does not. All right, so I have two crackpot theories. So the first crackpot theory is that Fun and Fancy Free, the frame story of Fun and Fancy Free, um, takes place in the Who Framed Roger Rabbit universe and is also the first ever public encounter between toons and humans when Willie appears right in the middle of downtown L.A. Oh, my God. That's my first crackpot I was th theory. <laughs> I was thinking that as you were talking, as we were talking, and I was like, hey, isn't it kind of weird that they're like uh, live action mm -hmm. people in a tune house? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. That it's, and it's seen as like, yeah, it's the first, it's the first encounter. Cause, cause, you know, um, like Jiminy Cricket is there, but he's kind of hidden. Like he, he's just a, a peeping Tom. Um, <laughs> but then Willie actually comes in and then maybe, 
like that they opened the portal to the Toon Land at that point. Genuine first contact, you know? Yep. Where Willie the Giant's like, hey there. You seen a little mouse? What the f? Yeah, exactly. What the f? Exactly. <laughs> See? There you go. Um, Does that mean that the puppets were genuinely alive? I don't know. Well, because they're not cartoons. So I wasn't sure. It's fair, but like they were also moving without the help of Edgar Bergen. I mean, in the you're you're implying that we live in the Who Framed Roger Rabbit universe. That's true. That's in true. the we... in the in the context of the movie, yes, they're real because this they're is getting not puppets. I understand how stupid it is for me to say this, but this is too philosophical for me. <laughs> oh man, we are all actors on life's grand stage. Um, all right, so my second crackpot theory. Is that, um, which by the way, that was such a gross misquote. Um, so There can only be one Highlander. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. my second crackpot theory is that Bongo is the grandfather of Yogi Bear, which is why he wears a hat and tie and also why he's so chill with humans. Much like Yogi, Bongo is shown to be smarter than the average bear and prefers human food, but avoids conflict and prefers to find clever ways around things. I know that Yogi Bear is not a Disney property, but I'd like to think that Toons exist in their own universe and they don't obey the whims of studios. And you would be right to assume that because Who Framed Roger Rabbit includes not just Disney Toons, but all Toons. Yeah! So, yes, you are... I, that is absolutely a legitimate and valid theory in oh, the yeah. Roger Rabbit expanded universe. <laughs> the Roger uh, The R-R-E-U. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Actually, I support... I, I would say that it could be his son, but I think grandson is more accurate because bears have shorter lifespans and because I think that Yogi Bear's... Like, I don't think he would be fully his son. He would be yeah. grandson. Because then they would be chill with each other rather than be, like, father and son. And Yogi Bear would be trying to, like, you know, go against Bongo's wishes and rebel. Right, yeah. We'd be looking at, like, a, a bear. Yeah, that's how it works. Because, like, Bongo wanted to, you know, stay true to true to his human roots his son would be like no i'm a bear so yeah. he never wears clothes yeah and then his son is like hey grandpa's kind of cool what if you two just got along a little and he wears a tie and hat you know is that like a nice little compromise uh, boo, boo, boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i know how i'll get my dad to accept my grandpa i'll steal him a picnic basket and show him how good <laughs> human food is <laughs> Uh, He's just trying to yep. put his family back together again. Oh, God. I love Yoki Bear. I need to go good. look that those cartoons up again. Okay, anyway. So, shall we Shall we rank? Uh, we shall, but I have a little preface to my oh, ranking, if okay. you don't mind me going first. Oh, no, you go right ahead. All right, preface. preface. The way opinions are formed are with the presentation of information. New information not only can change your opinion, but often it should either by reinforcing it and making it stronger or by weakening it to a reversal. It's okay to change your opinions because when you form them, you don't necessarily know everything about it. That's the beauty of the power of critical thinking, that every day we are learning, growing, evolving, changing, becoming the best us that we can be. 
it's not always easy, and sometimes we don't like what we learn and want to reject it, but we have to always strive to be true to our core values and the only true universal laws of being human. Be excellent to each other, and party on, dudes. This is a roundabout way of saying I can't keep digging in my heels about the objective technical superiority of Fantasia when subjectively my feelings clash. God, yeah, don't. It took Again, that's not your hill to die on. It's not, but it, it took further exploration into the package film genre to understand this more fully. And in time, new evidence may change me back, but for now, I have to make things right in my heart and declare Bambi Yes. As my number one Disney film so far. As it should be. As you knew it, in your heart that it was. As I knew in my heart. It's the best. And I loved it the most. And I'm not ashamed to say it loud and proud that it's the best example of an ideal Disney movie so far. Yep. As, as much as I love Fantasia, it's a small gallery of art. Whereas Bambi is a whole ass spotlight wing. You, you made me proud, Nate. So I'm proud of, of your progress. Bambi's number one. Fantasia's number two. And third is actually Make Mine Music. I thought it that is... Make Mine Music was going to beat out Fantasia. Nope, nope. It's not worse Fantasia. It's the best they could do with maybe a quarter of their staff and the world at war. And each segment holds your interest. Uh, put Claire de Lune back in Blue Bayou, though, and don't lead with it. It's too sleepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth. Uh, my boys, the Three Caballeros. And uh, fifth, Saludos Amigos. Lovely and charming. Love the hybrid of live action and documentary footage. Coming in as sixth place is fun and fancy free. Uh, it's okay. Edgar Bergen is better than uh, either story. Um, and But if I want Edgar Bergen, there's no shortage of his own prolific work and career. Mm-hmm. It's right above Pinocchio, as good as Pinocchio is, and I will never stop singing the praises of Pinocchio. It's it's just dragged down to hell. Yeah, it's just dragged down to hell. Uh, Snow White comes in right after that, just because it's not as good as Pinocchio, mm-hmm. and Dumbo is probably the only disney movie i'm pr- so far that i would say you don't have to watch with anybody wow yeah like pinocchio is good to watch like for academic reasons snow white is good to watch like as an intro to disney movies and for academic reasons uh the top 6 right now you can watch unironically on your own and enjoy them dumbo you don't need to watch that nobody needs to watch that mm-hmm. it's it's unnecessary yeah. And that's uh that's it. That's that for me. That's that. All right, so my rankings number 1 is Bambi because I have a brain and I use it and I have eyes and I use those too. Listen, um, okay? I'm I'm wide my eyes my ears are wide open. Your ears I'm are listening. wide open. I'm listening to you. What do you have the, to say to me? What do you have I to say have to, to me? Say, that just because you're right doesn't mean you have to go to the Himalayas, find a chunk of salt, carve it into a knife, and stab me with it. That's exactly what it means. Also, I'd never Fair. do that to the Himalayas because they are a sacred ground, and I would respect that even though many people do not. That's true. Is that... Does does 
does Himalayan rock salt really come from the Himalayas? I don't know. It might be a mountain range that is like technically part of the Himalayas, but like not. Or maybe. maybe like maybe like the region where it's be- not necessarily the. Because if I have been taking like sacred salt and crushing it onto my food, I need to know so I can stop doing that. No, I just mean like the Himalayas, as in like Mount Everest. Oh yeah, like yeah, stop climbing Everest. Yeah. All right. So ranking. Ranking. Anyway, ranking number one, Bambi, because mm-hmm. I have sense. Um, number two, fun and fancy free, because grew mm-hmm. you, I liked it. It's good. Um, I thought it was entertaining, and it was more entertaining than the other things that I've listed. Uh, number three, make mine music, because again, it was entertaining. Number four, Pinocchio, because it just is like interesting and weird and scary and cool number five saludos amigos number six fantasia uh number seven snow white number eight three caballeros and number nine dumbo wow yeah so wow why what's why well it's it's originally you you had saludos amigos uh and three caballeros higher than that yeah. And you've knocked them down even further than they were. Well, Saludos Amigos um, is pretty, like, similar to how it was before, at least in, like, the rankings. Because Fun Events Free Make My Music, not including them, Saludos Amigos was, I think, at number three. Um, and then Three Caballeros, I was thinking about it, and I just didn't like it. I just didn't like it. I, I'm tired of the trope of Donald chasing after women and... It just, it didn't, it didn't please me. That's fair. That's fair. It didn't please me. Uh, and then I, I moved Snow White up a little bit because I was thinking about it and I'm like, even though there wasn't a lot that happened in it, the visuals were still really pretty and I still enjoyed like Snow White's movements and stuff. That's fair. All right. So we've ranked everything. We've, we've. We came, we saw, we ranked. We did. We did do we did that. something like that. And we theorized a lot. And freaking Willie did nothing wrong. Willie did nothing wrong. Which Willie? Yes. Yes. <laughs> he well, was... he st- one Willie stole a whole harp. Well. That drove the entire community into chaos. Well. But he also opened up tune and human relations. That's true. That's fair. He he redeemed himself, we'll say. We won't say he did nothing wrong, but he we will say that he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. He was better than Monstro, the terrible whale. That's true. That It's two stories of redemption mm-hmm. resulting in the name Willie. Resulting in the name Willie. That's true. Yeah. There you go. Willie did nothing wrong. Yep. That's the name of this episode. Willie did. No, it's Make Mine Money. But yeah, so we watched those things, and I I had fun. I thought that they were fun. I don't know. I I think that they held up, even though they're scraps. They're really fun scraps. They are really fun scraps. They're really they're really good. They're really good even today, and I highly recommend each and every one of them. Yep, if you can find a Swedish copy of Make My Music. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta find the you gotta find the yeah. Russian release. Yeah. Uh, in Region Seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Which can only be played on a project slide projector. Yes, exactly. Um, and thank God, thank the Lord, we are going to be almost finished with our package film era. That's right. So I'm exhausted. The next double up is uh, Melody Time and the Adventures of Ichabod and Mister Toad, which I'm actually excited about because I love Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I'm very excited that you're excited. I'm. Ex- just I again I'm excited. Excitable. I'm uh, excitable. That's not true. Not excitable. No, you're incorrigible. Yeah. And this episode is endable. Yes. I thought you said this episode is sponsored by I'm like, wait a second, we're not sponsored by is, anyone. This episode is sponsored by episode The is, Purge. The Purge. Kevin Purgerer. Not not the not the, the political. Pur- I was like, wait. <laughs> Oh man, it should be. Yeah. Purge sponsors. Pur- the purge. Both purges. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. So mm-hmm. we're gonna be doing that next time, uh, and go and we hope to see you. Go and and rate us and leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts and other places, please. Tell your friends to follow our YouTube page because if we get a hundred YouTube followers. On our YouTube page, we can have a custom YouTube page account and make it easier for people to find our, our YouTube, YouTube page. page. Next time, <laughs> we dissect the YouTube page. <laughs> <laughs>Let's admit it's specifically it's specific to Tumblr because no other place is like that. But um, it came off Twitter. But okay, there's no 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 no. But like, um, oh, the thing true. I'm getting to is, uh, that there'll be something a post or something, and then it'll be either funny or making a point of something, and then somebody else will bring up OP's uh, URL, mm-hmm. and it's just. It just obliterates you because you didn't look at it at first, and then yeah. you have to look back up at it, and it's like anal fister four twenty or something, and they're they're like <laughs> making a really a really succinct argument about like, my favorite one police to see brutality is, or something. My favorite one to see is Buzz Lightyear's huge. <laughs>